Welcome back to the Emerald Sports Podcast. We're going to talk some hoops today. As always, I'm Shane Hoffman, and I'm joined by Carly Ebisuya. She's going to help me break down some of the takeaways from women's hoops. They started Pac-12 play just uh, about a week and a half ago, and then Chris Brule is going to come on in the second half, and we're going to talk some men's hoops. Carly, uh, last time we talked, we kind of broke down the opening games, the warm-up games for women's basketball. We talked about their win over Seattle, and then their you know, both dominant wins, and then the one over Portland. Um, since then, they played Colorado, wasn't all that close. They also beat Utah by, you know, damn near 40 points. And then last night, we're recording this on Monday. We should make that clear. Last night, they took down Oregon State by 20 points. So an exciting start, but not all that uh, enticing in terms of any close games or parity. Uh, what have been some of your takeaways so far since Pac-12 play started, Carly? Yeah. I mean, first of all, thanks so much for bringing me back and having me on. Um, As far as, you know, things that I saw with the start of Pac-12 play, their defense. I mean, they haven't really been known in the past, I'd say since like Kelly Graves era, really known for their defense. They're known for putting the ball in the hoop. Um, But I feel like these past four games, three games, it gets basically the start of Pac-12, they've really shown their defense improvements. I mean, they held OSU to 59 points, which is the lowest that OSU has scored this whole season, but it's the highest that Oregon has led an opponent. So it really shows that like they are holding teams on their own with their defense. And it's been showing a lot and it's improved a lot because they have all these young players that are willing to, you know, dive on the floor and go for dive for loose balls. And they're really um, eager to just be out there and, you know, fight for every minute that they're getting. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about this last time. Look, they're still scoring at the same level. Mm -hmm. They scored 79 points last night in their 20-point win, and that's the lowest they had on the season. Every other game has been at least 82 or more. Obviously, there was 116 in that opener against Seattle, which we might not see that again anytime soon. But you mentioned the defense, and it's true. I mean, they, they gave up 59 points to Oregon State, which is not a lot of points. Also, the most points they had given up to a team. This is a team that Oregon State had lost to Utah, which the Ducks demolished. But Oregon State is a ranked team, and I would imagine even after these back-to-back losses for them, they'll be ranked when the season's all said and done, most likely, or they'll be a formidable team. Um, yeah, I think yeah, the OSU the, game was really surprising in the fact that they only held Oregon State to three threes the yeah. entire game. And Oregon's Oregon State is known for their offense. You know, they're known for, like, lining it up with a three-point line with Aaliyah and Sasha as their new freshman. Um, So that was something that was really surprising to me. But then on the other side of that, defense turned into offense where Oregon scored, I think, 15 threes on Sunday night. So, you know, defense turned into offense for them. And that's going to be the name of the game for them. If they can keep up their defense the whole season, like throughout and even in postseason, they're going to turn that into points. I think, and we can get to this more a little bit later, I think when you kind of zoom out, we were talking, well, look, this is going to be a team that's probably ranked throughout the season, this and that. They're going to be up there, but there's a lot of good, you know, Pac-12 teams. After watching these three games, have your expectations or opinions of this team shifted, you know, for good or bad? I'm guessing if anything, it'd be for good and you think they might be even better than we thought, but how has that changed since we've seen them last? I don't think the expectations have changed really for me from what I've seen so far in Pac-12 play. I think that definitely Oregon State was a good test for them, especially with their first ranked team of the season. Um, but I think with Colorado and Utah, those were kind of 
at least warm-up games, I would say, for Stanford and, you know, for all these, for Arizona, for these really top 10 ranked teams. Um, so I wouldn't say the expectations have changed. I would say I am a little surprised, definitely, in a good way, um, by the way that Oregon State turned out with the amount of points in their defense. So I would say that the expectations are, you know, standard and higher than that, especially what they played against OSU for. So I would say definitely it's stepped it up a little bit expectations wise for these really good teams that are coming next in the Pac-12. Yeah, and we'll talk about the schedule before we get out of here moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, I would agree. I think it, you know, I haven't been able to watch a ton of the games live, but from everything I've heard, read, seen, um, this team looks really good. And we've talked both sides of the ball and it's a lot of people. It's, they weren't one dimensional by any means in past years because it wasn't just Sabrina. They had Ruthie, yeah. they had Satu and whoever else, but this year, the contributors, you look top to bottom every game. There's And it's it helps that they're getting to play everybody because their games mm -hmm. are blowouts. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Tahina Pow Pow because when, we, when I asked you last time about a player that you thought could, you know, raise some eyebrows or could have a little breakout, you said, you know, Tahina, her numbers haven't been crazy yet, but she's going to be coming. Since Pac-12 plays started, she had 13 points, 17 points, and then, what, 22 last night? against yeah. Oregon State and look point guard is a tough position to come in and play as a freshman especially in a conference like this what have you seen from Tahina Pow Pow? I would say the thing that surprised me the most or the thing that I've seen her improve on so far is yes she's put up 22 points like last game um, but her defense also she talked about in her media press conference last week how defense is something that she really wants to improve on and she locked down Aaliyah Goodman on Sunday night's game. And that was their best offensive player. So just that alone is showing, I mean, she did, she was in foul trouble a little bit, but it did show that she's really wanting to put, you know, her, like Kelly Grace is wanting to put her on their best offensive player. Yeah. So it goes to show that, you know, her offense is definitely stepping up. I think she's getting more confidence in her defense in every game that goes on. Absolutely. And she's always going to be able to run the offensive facilitate, although it's nice they don't need her to have every exactly. Kind of they, she can take over the offense and run it like a true point guard, but they have other people that can handle the ball. Um, okay. We talked a little bit about how we thought Niara Sabli might be in for not a, not a rough start to Pac-12 play, but it, it would be some growing pains because of her injuries and just not playing, but it's been the opposite. She's been great. And it started in that Colorado game where she has the perfect game, 20 and 10. She doesn't miss a shot. Um, yeah. And it's, it's coming a perfect time for the Ducks when Sedona Prince gets hurt, who is the the post player that we're thinking is going to lead uh, mm -hmm. Oregon this year, Nayara has been impeccable. Oh, definitely. I mean, with Sedona being questionable every game and, and she hasn't been practicing a lot, Nayara has stepped up so much. I mean, with her presence in the paint, it does so much for the offense and the defense. Mm -hmm. um, and not and filling that gap, I guess, with Sedona being out it allows for other players as well to be more involved in the offense. Yeah. So running through the offense, you know, at the elbow or the high post, a lot of high lows that they've been doing um, with Sedona out questionably, it's allowed Niara to expand her game a little bit. I mean, we know that she can take it from the block to all the way to the three. So it stretches the floor when she's out there. And also it makes defenders on the block come out to her 
a little bit. So it's definitely stretched the offense more in a good way, obviously. And it's been getting a lot of her teammates involved. Like you said, Tahina's having been having really good games and Taylor Mike's still in starting five as well. So having Sedona out has definitely had more opportunities for Niara, but we're definitely excited to have Sedona back, hopefully soon. Yeah. And look, she had the 20 and 10. The other, you know, lines from other games, they don't blow you away, but mm-hmm. it, you talked about the presence, right? And that yeah. is like what you're missing when you lose Sedona Prince, six, seven, you know, post player in the middle is you need someone big down there that can really yeah. clog up the lane. And, and she's been doing that on both sides of the ball or clogging up the lane on defense and, and presenting opportunities on offense. Yeah. Um, and I think this is just the baseline for her. Yeah, like these yeah, past, right. these past four games are, you know, you should, you said uh, she had a perfect night. Um, the first opener of Pac-12, but this is kind of just a baseline for her. You know, she has been getting warmed up. This is her first season back in two yeah. and a half years. So I think we're expecting more from her too as well. Yeah, and I don't think you're at the point where you're saying, oh, well, even once Sedona's back and healthy, that Niara should slide in the starting lineup, but wherever she plays, she'll be valuable. One uh, one player I did want to hit on is Taylor Chavez. Um, she was someone who I thought was going to have, and this isn't this isn't at all... I don't want to, I don't want to have this sound negative, but she was someone who I, I was actually expecting to have a bigger role this year yeah. or that they would need to have a bigger role. And I guess the positive is that they haven't needed her to have a big game yet. And conversely, she hasn't really popped off in terms of um, her scoring numbers. Yeah. And that's not to say she hasn't been impact, um, but she's, she's going to be adapting um, because she plays off the bench. She's kind of the sixth, uh, sixth woman, I guess last mm-hmm. year. Um do you think that she, what, I guess, what kind of Taylor Chavez season do you think we're going to have? Is it going to be more of a kind of a lower usage kind of, she just does all the little things like we've seen, or do you think at some point when they start playing these bigger teams, her kind of veteran leadership and, and her skill is going to kind of take over? I think Taylor is definitely going to have to adapt this season. I know that we all expected her to have this big role. She still has that big leadership role off the court. Um, but on the court, I think she's definitely going to have to adapt to what her role is. You know, she started a few games this year with Prince out, but I think she's also come off the bench, you know, mm-hmm. for a few games. So I think she's definitely going to have to adapt to whatever coach throws at her for whatever game she needs. And she's definitely going to be willing to do that. But at the same time, I did have the same thoughts as you regarding, you know, I'm ready for her to step up. You know, when is that going to be that big game for her to get that confidence up? She's more than capable of dropping 20 on any night. Yeah, exactly. And she only, she only had eight points versus Oregon State, which any, you know, points on the board is a a contribution, but she hasn't made the biggest impact yet. But I guess on the positive side, they don't really need her to every night. You know, she's there, like you said, to do the little things to work hard to get as many minutes as she can, but they don't need her to fill that huge leadership role, maybe in the postseason, but right now they're just kind of going through rotations and seeing what works. So I think she's definitely going to have to be adaptable this season. Yeah, no question. Let's look ahead really quickly before we get out of here. Um, Oregon is going to play up in Seattle on, on the, on the 19th. Um, then they're going to, you know, head up to Pullman and play the Cougars. Yeah. And then they'll play USC. And then we have those, that kind of gauntlet of games that we discussed where it's UCLA, who's ranked 11th. It's number one, Stanford, it's Cal, and then it's number six, Arizona. And that's where they land now. By the time people are listening, these rankings will 
probably have changed, but three yeah. really good teams. I asked you this last time, uh, before we get out of here really quickly, uh, what do you think the Ducks need to accomplish in these next three games to make you feel comfortable that they have a legitimate shot to not only knock off UCLA, which they would probably be favored in that game, but be competitive with the number one team in the nation, Stanford. I think with that, you know, like you said, they have huge games coming up, especially they Stanford and Arizona are waiting for them on the road or at Mount United Arena. But I would say for them to be, you know, within that top 10, possibly they're ranked at, they're tied with Baylor right now at number seven, to be in that top 10, maybe top five, um, and then secure the Pac-12 title. I think they're really going to have to settle on, you know, playing as a team. Everyone expects them to be kind of mumbo jumbo all over the place with all these new players, but for them to really, you know, beat Stanford, UCLA, Arizona, and go for that Pac-12 title, they really need to come together as a team and solidify what their identity is because people are expecting them to be all over the place with these new players, but they really need to come together and have that on-court chemistry, which I think they'll definitely develop. And that you've seen it, you know, they've had contributions from everyone the past four games. So I think when they have that team chemistry on the court and it shows, it sets the foundation off for whatever, how many games they can win in the future. So I think when they have that foundation like solid, then I think they can definitely go off of that and be contenders for the Pac-12 title once again. Yeah, and it feels weird to say that they don't have their identity yet because they've been blowing everybody out, but it's true. (laughs) They're playing so many people game to game. Um, The rotation is so deep. At some point, like we said, it's going to tighten up, and I'll be interested to see. You know, it's a great thing to have no hierarchy and a lot of people that can contribute, but there will have to be a hierarchy. You know, who's taking these big shots when it matters because they haven't had a time when that matters quite yet. Exactly. Um, all in all, we'll, we'll look ahead. They have, like I said, a few more kind of middle of the road Pac-12 games coming up before that kind of onslaught of ranked teams. Um, that'll be it for our, our women's section of the podcast. Carly, again, thanks for joining us. And we'll check in again with the women's team soon. Thanks so much, Shane. We are back. I'm joined now by Chris Brule. We're going to talk some men's basketball. Uh, last time we talked, the men's team fell to Mizzou in the first game of the season, although ironically enough, Mizzou is actually now ranked 16th and they just took down uh, Illinois, a top five team the other night. Then we also talked about the game in which they defeated Seton Hall 83 to 70. Since then, they played Eastern Washington. They won by 17. Uh, the men also won by 21 versus Florida A&M. And then um yesterday or two days ago rather on saturday they won by three up in seattle um so quite a close game there just like last year's game in seattle uh chris how you doing i'm good man how are you i'm good we are both back in our uh, midwest hometowns um we've been tuning into the games chris what are some takeaways you've had from the last three games for the ducks um i think they're kind of hitting their stride a little bit i think eastern washington was a good uh, uh mid-major test for them you know they're not the Pac-12 caliber opponent, but they definitely put up a fight against the Ducks. And Florida A&M, I think, was a good game for especially Dante to kind of get his his feet under him. And I, I think Dante is where I want to start with how he's been looking the last couple of games. Absolutely. I was going to say Dante has really been the story. Uh, we talked a lot about how he just hadn't been looking that good. He wasn't mm-hmm. physically fit. 
Um, and and that the, the Ducks' best lineup was the small lineup where they have more wings out there. But look, if Dante can give them 20 good minutes, which he's been doing, that's a game changer, especially because they're going to play some teams like USC, who's got Evan Mobley, like Arizona State, who has some big guys. Um, a lot of big teams coming up once the Pac-12 really gets underway. Uh, it didn't really hurt them too much against Washington, although we'll get into that game in a second because that was a little closer than I think some of us would have expected. But yeah, let's start at Florida A&M. He comes out, you know, 22 and five. I believe he doesn't even miss a shot. Um, he's playing with energy and he had some moments against Eastern Washington as well. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, there was really no one on A&M or Eastern Washington that can match up with his size down right. low and, and even on Washington. But uh, it's good to see him kind of be on at the right spot on the floor when he needs to be. And he's there for rebounds. He's there for lobs. And that's what they need from him. So it's good to see. And I think uh, I know you were lightly critical on Amori Hardy the first time we talked. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I think he's looked a lot better, too. That's another thing I wanted to hit on is I think we were saying, well, we've liked what we've seen from Jalen Terry. And especially I was Mari Hardy's had some moments, but he wasn't as in control as you want to see from a veteran guard. That kind of changed um, the last few games. And he had some moments against Seton Hall, but the last few games, especially he's really taken over that point guard duty. And, and Jalen Terry has looked phenomenal. And we'll talk about him, but Mari mm-hmm. Hardy has been controlling this offense much better. And his penetration has been key because he's getting in the lane. And he's just dumping it off to either, Dante or Lawson or one of these big wings. Um, and, and so, right, you say, all right, Eastern Washington and Florida AM didn't really have anyone to match up with Dante. Washington has some tall guys, genuinely, mm-hmm. some, some near seven-footers, and Dante has a double-double. In 20 minutes, 12, 10, he kind of, you know, rejected some shots near the rim or made, you know, players think otherwise about attacking the rim. Um, but we've seen, we've seen the potential this team has where they go on these big runs. Like, for example, Washington – they're up 15, 15 minutes in, or sorry, uh, five minutes into the second half at the at around mm-hmm. the 15 minute mark. And then it comes down to being a final shot. I mean, well, yeah. like, look, uh, Quade Green played 37 minutes. He's the point guard for Washington, 26 points. He was flawless. Him and Raekwon battle off the bench for mm-hmm. the Huskies. It came down to him taking a really deep three with several seconds left on the clock. So you can question the shot selection, but if that falls. The Ducks could easily lose this game and say what you will about the Huskies, but they're one and four. They're not necessarily the cream of the crop in the Pac-12. What did you see in that Washington game? Why were they, I guess, what happened in terms of them letting Washington back in the game? You know, I think that was kind of just classic college basketball. Um, The Ducks were up, I think, 10 at halftime. They held a a double-digit lead most of the second half, but all of a sudden, you know, there's five minutes left and one seven Oh run makes it come down to the final shot. Like you said, and I, I don't know if there's really anything that the ducks did or didn't do other than not make shots. And of course, like you said, Raekwon battle was hitting every shot he took. It seemed like, and, and quad a green went off, but I think that's just, just college basketball, man. You know, you, you can never trust a 10 point lead really. Yeah, and I think that combined with, look, it's the second game, Eugene Omorui had foul trouble, and it was the first game that we saw Omorui really struggle. You wouldn't tell, you wouldn't know from just the, he had 14 points still. Um, he scored double digits easily in every game of the season, but this was the first game where he wasn't hitting all those easy post-ups. Right. Uh, the zone that Washington runs definitely has something to do with that, but he was missing a lot of chip shots around the rim, and that seemed like it was the biggest um, factor there. 
Duarte's picked it up a little bit. Duarte, I think, has been mm-hmm. shooting the ball really nicely. I mean, again, I, I think we talked about it last time, but it seems like if you had to pen an identity to this this team, and it's kind of similar to the women's team I just talked about with Carly in that there's no number one guy like there necessarily was with Peyton Pritchard and with Sabrina Inescu. Last year, it's kind of a community approach, and it's the wings. The wings have been phenomenal mm-hmm. again for the Ducks. Yeah, Eric Williams has been very consistent. Yeah, all three levels, he's scoring the ball, making it happen on defense, getting some steals, rebounding on offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you look at the box score from this Washington game, and there was four of the starters had double digits. Figueroa had nine off the bench, and Lawson had eight off the bench. So, like, that's a yeah. super balanced scoring approach. And I don't – that's happening all five games pretty much. And it's probably going to be what's happening going forward in this Pac-12 season. It's a, it's a tight lineup now that they have Figueroa in there because you have the starters and that's been Hardy, Duarte, Omorui, Eric Williams, and Dante. And then they bring Figueroa off the bench, Lawson, and Jill and Terry, who the three-point shooting has calmed down a little bit. He was hitting yeah. a lot of threes there and he didn't have, he was scoreless in the Washington game, but he's making really big defensive plays in every game. He routinely jumps off the screen and we talked about his speed and quickness last time we chatted. But his defense is is impressive for a freshman, and he doesn't play selfishly, and he doesn't hunt shots, and he makes his errors. He had some turnovers. He's had some bad shots, but he's going to continue to earn playing time because he's doing the things that Dane Altman prides his his teams on. Um, and one more thing I wanted to hit on, you were talking about the rebounding um, for Eric Williams. It's You'd be hard-pressed to find a, a group of forwards uh, besides Eric Williams, uh, Duarte, and Figueroa that play as hard on defense and rebound as hard on both ends. It's it's pretty right. phenomenal. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that out of Omarui, particularly on the offensive glass. Yeah, and, and Omarui, yes. yes. Yeah, but it's just, you know, you, you see Dante at his seven-foot size, huge wingspan. You think he's going to be grabbing all those boards, but then here comes Eric Williams from the, from the corner just flying in for a rebound. Right. And, you know, that's what good ball teams do. But uh, like you said about Jalen Terry, yeah. um, and his he's a spark plug for this team. Uh, I think it was the Eastern Washington game. He had that one play at the end of the first half where he just – he got the ball. He flew down the court in like four seconds and got a layup yeah. at the buzzer. Huge momentum booster for that game particularly. Yeah, pretty rare speed. Um, and just he's just plays frenetically like a lot of these guys do. And the press, again, is going to be a problem for teams. They give up easy yeah. buckets, but they get a lot of steals off the press and – you saw with Eric Williams just stripping the ball and going in for some dunks. Um, so their next game isn't until next Wednesday, the 23rd. Um, mm-hmm. I would imagine they try to get a game in before then, right? That seems like an awful long time to take off. I, I think they should. Um, I don't know how much of the, the Pac-12 you've been watching this season, but you got any anything that jumps out to you, good or bad, from around the conference? This, this conference is... You don't see it necessarily within the top 25, but there's some really talented teams this year. I've actually been watching a pretty good amount. Um, it start, I mean, look, we'll, we'll just go through it. Like, for example, you know, Washington yeah. and Washington State don't jump out at me, um, nor really does Oregon State, but Stanford has De Silva back. They lost Terry to the NBA, uh, NBA draft, but they bring in Zaire Williams, who has had some moments. He's one of the top freshmen in the nation. He's going to get healthy. Um you look at Colorado, they've got some returning talent, and that was that was a top 25 team for part of last year that yeah. almost overtook Oregon for the um, 
the Pac-12, you know, crown. Arizona State has a lot of guys with Josh Christopher, Marcus Bagley, mm-hmm. Remy Martin, all these guards. What have you seen? I mean, Arizona State is the one that I really wanted to hit on because, like you said, they have all this talent in Burge, Martin, all those guys, but they haven't looked so good. And I I think they their weakness is down low. They don't have any bigs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we or see how – bigs, yeah. Or consistent, but, yeah, exactly. And, and you see what Dante's done this past week. I think that's a huge mismatch for, for the Sun Devils down low. But, yeah. I mean – you know, if they're on if they're on fire, they're hidden and they're gonna put up a bunch of points. But I think they can be exploited down low. Yeah, and, and because we don't have any games to really preview coming up until that UCLA right. game, and, and UCLA is a talented team. UCLA is good. Yeah. Right. But good. let's we can talk a little bit about how expectations maybe have changed. I mean, I came into the season thinking, as they usually have, that this team would compete for the Pac-12 championship. Um, and it looks like, look, I mean, they haven't lost since that Mizzou game. And like we said, Mizzou looked like a really good team all of a sudden. Yeah. They're top 16 and they just beat Illinois. Um, there's some there's some challenging teams and games. And I think they'll add someone, like I said before, they play on the 23rd. Because then after that, right. it's back to the two a weeks. It's the 31st mm-hmm. and then the second and then the seventh and the ninth. They're going back and forth with these, with these games. Um, but I think Oregon presents some matchup issues. You're talking about Arizona State. Yes, Dante, but Arizona State's thing is these guards that can score. They narrowly escaped a win at Grand Canyon last night. Yeah, And then Oregon is probably the best team in terms of just guys that can throw at people on the perimeter to defend them. And so I wonder if they're able to just kind of lock up Arizona State's guard. That'll be a great game um, on January 14th. Um, I'm going to be covering that one. I'm really excited for that. But I think – I mean, where do you where do you stand with this Ducks team right now in terms of we haven't seen anything crazy yet, um, and, mm-hmm. and you probably want them to kind of hold that lead against Washington, but where do you see them when it's all said and done now? Has your perspective changed at all? I think they're a little bit better than I had originally thought, um, just because especially those first two games, you weren't really sure. Um, the team didn't seem like they're really sure where they stood. Um, yeah. And just from the past week or so since we last talked, I think Oregon has looked like the best team in the Pac-12. I haven't seen much of Colorado. Um, didn't but can, USC. Yeah, USC. They got Evan Mobley. Mobley. USC. Yeah, Mobley's the guy that is going to be the matchup problem. He's probably the best player in the Pac-12 right now. I mean, other than, okay, outside of USC, and I think UCLA is good, but I, I think my opinion hasn't changed of them since going into the season. But from what we've seen the last week and a half with how well the Ducks have been playing, I think that, like like you said, they're going to compete for one of those top two, maybe top three spots in the conference. Absolutely. And the scary thing is that the Dane Allman teams tend to get better as the season goes on. And this is yeah. a very veteran team, a lot of guys, a lot of transfers, new faces, and they're playing hungry. The addition of Figueroa has proved to be super impactful, um, even if it doesn't necessarily always show up in the box score. But I think that'll do it from us. Uh, here at the Emerald Sports Desk. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to check out our content on dailyemerald.com in the sports section and follow us on Twitter at ODE Sports. Thanks, guys.